It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. There is a certain type of tax strategy called a 1031 or 1035 tax-free exchanges. And I'll tell you why this becomes sort of interesting. You know, a financial planner called me recently and told me about a big danger that he ran into recently with a client who had come to him with some annuities that had capital losses and they wanted to get out of them. He said his client had bought an annuity for $44,000 about five or six years ago. It had dropped to $33,000. There was a loss of $10,000 or $11,000 and they wanted to go ahead and sell it and get it into another investment. Lo and behold, when they went to make the sale, they found out there was not a loss. There was actually a gain. And this is something very few people understand. Mm. Every other type of investment you buy, you buy with the cash, and that's your starting point. That's right. It becomes your cost basis. That's right. But annuities have a unique negative effect as far as I'm concerned. And what happened, this planner told me, was that his client thought they had bought the annuity for 44000 Actually, it was done through a 1035 exchange from a previous annuity they had bought many years ago for 15000 So instead of there being a loss, there was actually a taxable gain. So, so it was rolled over. From one to the other. Now, you can't do that with anything That's else. That's right. <laughs> Everything else, when you sell it, you pay tax. And it's and start again. But annuities are unique and not many people and these clients didn't know, he said. He said they didn't even know. They thought it was the old one was over and now they had bought a new one. But lo and behold, they found out and fortunately the planner quickly ran a tax analysis to see whether it would be better to do it this year or next year, and lo and behold, better this year. So have to go ahead and uh Uh, realize that capital gains are especially unique with regard to annuities. It it is very interesting. And, and, uh, you know, as a person is looking at their overall portfolio and what are the strategies and the issues that will come up in a person's situation, this is one of those sort of fluky situations that you really have to look at 
to get that's right get and the whole truth about the matter about your situation because um, while it might have been exactly what the client needed and having the 1035 exchange let's say they would they wanted to because basically isn't the intention to defer the taxes it could have been it could have been it well, could have been or it could, or it could was, have been uh, generate yeah, a nice yeah. com- second okay. commission so we don't know but let's just be optimistic and say that it was for the deferral of the taxes and the appreciation if these types of questions come up in your world this is uh, th- this adds a whole bunch of complexity okay Doug, tax gonna, strategies i was gonna ask you one more question in regard to this topic though. yes Deborah. isn't there another aspect about the capital gains in regard to annuities it's even worse you may think it's a gain and have that special tax bracket, tax uh, bracket mm-hmm. of a gain, a twenty percent or twenty five percent or even zero percent right. if you're below that seventy two thousand. That's right. But no, it's called ordinary income, as if you have another salary right. hitting you. Right. And if well, you happen to be listening as you're driving around, or maybe you're on your computer and live streaming WPTF, um, if you would like to schedule an appointment with us at Lewis Financial Management LLC in Raleigh. Give us a call at 919-872-7000. Leave us a message. We'll be happy to call you back, and we can schedule an appointment to help you look at your situation. There are many of our listeners, um, and if you happen to schedule an appointment, we will be giving you a free copy of The Middle Class Millionaire, which we have promised to give any new um uh, clients yeah, or we prospects. Gave, we gave away several of those last week. And <laughs> schedule an appointment. And uh, we want to get you on your way to financial independence. So, to becoming a middle class millionaire. Exactly. <laughs> so now, call I'll, us at, at our office in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. I want to bring another tax strategy up that a lot of people aren't aware of. For those who are over 70 and a half, Linda, for those listeners who are over 70 and a half, there is something still current under present tax law that a lot of people are not aware of. And this is the charitable IRA rollover. Any individual retirement account owner who is at least 70 and a half years old is allowed to donate as much as $100,000 of their IRA accounts directly to a charity. Now, you know, when you're over 70 and a half years old, whatever you take out of... It's usually to qualify or... Well, when to, you, well, any, it's taxable. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was going to say, you're usually, you're now in that time of your life where you have to start have taking to. things out. So this, this tax rollover strategy to a charity allows you to take out as much as $100,000 from your IRA and give it straight to a charity and you will not have any taxable effect whatsoever on that money coming out. So uh, that is... So the tax break there is, I've got to take this income that I may not need, or in this situation I wouldn't need to live on. Right. I don't really want to do that because now I've got to take income and pay income taxes on it. And I would be wanting to make a gift to charity. And and so I can do two things at one time. I can have my, my required minimum distribution and not have to pay the taxes on that income. That's right. And give a charitable deduction. And I would get my charitable deduction for the... No, I don't. Do I you lose? Don't, you don't get okay, the deduction. Okay, so you lose the deduction, but, but you able, make the charitable deduction to well, the tricky part get here, rid of the taxes. Deborah, the tricky part is yes. that you cannot take it out 
and then go oh. ahead and give it to the charity. Just it's got to go directly from. from the IRA straight to the charity. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. Now, there's a couple other strategies that we can we can remind our listeners to. Yes, sir. And this is the solo defined benefit pension plan or the 401k plans. And these are always very attractive. We've been talking a lot about them recently. We, we don't want to use a lot of tonight's time, but reckon, recognize that these are also available. They have to be set up, of course, before the year is over. One other thing I want to remind people of, a little sad to think about, but if you are close to death, there is this matter of step up at basis. The step up strategy, that's pre-mortem planning. Yeah. How does that work, Deborah? Well, if you know, um, being a part of a a couple... Yeah, what does step up mean? Okay, well, step up generally will mean that when you die, the person who inherits or receives... property or wealth or inheritance from you is now going to get the value of that asset as of the day of your death. That's they right. They get a stepped up cost basis. And if they then turn around and sell it the next day, then it's tax free because their basis now has been stepped up to the value another way, of death. The appreci- there, would be su- there would be zero appreciation That's because right. it would be the day later, the value is the same. Okay. So how do we <laughs> use this in, this in the case of a married couple and one of them is getting ready to go ahead and, okay. uh, and pass away? So so if the person who is doing pre-mortem planning, terminal illness is where we tend to find this kind of thing, then if I if I now own everything, I'm the one who knows that I'm going to be dying. If I own everything, then then the person... No, the uh, other way around. Uh, if, yes, yeah, so... So if, if I give spouse, everything to my spouse, if your spouse owns everything and you know that you are passing away, you want to transfer the ownership over to yes, you. Yes, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying is that I want to own it before I die. You're exactly so right. So that my uh, surviving spouse is now going to have everything 100% stepped up basis. That's exactly right. Yes. I remember I did that yeah. with my father and mother yeah. when when uh, when they went and every, that and every and, and everybody. This is death is. Well, everybody says that cliche death and taxes, but it really is the reality of, you know, what you're preparing for the two biggest parts of your life is preparing for retirement. Exactly. And if any of our listeners are out there and maybe you have a spouse who has a terminal illness or and and maybe you need some advice or you have some questions about your situation that you need an advisor to give you some competent answers to help you understand what are the issues and concerns that you should be concerned about in preparing for your spouse's departure. Some folks um, haven't done their estate planning or how are your assets registered? All of these um, things are how, how you work with a financial planner, whether you are in that situation or trying to plan so if you ever get in that situation. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. Should you buy insurance for your child? You know, there was a really good uh, question that was written into the News Observer, and I really liked the way the, uh, the, the, the writer answered the question. The question said, lately, we're seeing a lot of ads, commercials uh, from reputable insurance companies encouraging parents to buy life insurance for their young children. And the writer said, we can buy a whole life policy 
for $10,000 death benefit for only $5 a month for a six-month-old child. And then the writer said, well, as long as we pay the premiums, the policy is going to stay in place. And when our baby reaches 18 years old, then the 10000 death benefit doubles to $20,000. And this will ensure that our child will always have life insurance regardless of any unforeseen health issues or even if Unfortunately, the horrible case of the child dying, there's enough to pay the child's funeral expenses. And that was the question. I really liked the way the answer was given by the writer in the paper. The answer was perfect because it said, in general, I view life insurance as an income replacement vehicle for young couples. And it's very important when you have small children because most children don't contribute any income to meet the family expenses. And, and that's true. We don't need to insure babies. If a baby dies, You've yes. said that for well, decades. There's, yeah, there's grief to the family. But if you think of it practically, there's one less mouth to feed. And the child's death is not a financial risk that has now been uh, needed to be covered by insurance. So I was really glad to see right. the, the, the advice given out there, don't buy baby insurance. You don't need any insurance on your child. However, and perfectly said in, in this article, the thing you do need to make sure that you are insuring is not your child's life. It's your life. That's very good, Deborah. That's exactly right. The only person right. who's going to be missed is the uh, is the, the earner, in- the income generator for that family. That's exactly right. So if you right. haven't properly protected your own income, the ability to uh, pay off the mortgage, in, in any way leave your family with enough money to move on past your death, then in addition to leaving them to grieve, you'll be leaving them with a big financial hole. Very good. And take care of your children. Tell them you love them, hug them and kiss them. (laughs) This is the grandma and the mom here talking on the air. (laughs) But anyway, they are so precious, the little ones. So enjoy them where they're little and uh, make sure that in in the grand scheme of things, you and your spouse are providing for their needs from a cash flow standpoint and for their future. Right. Because at some point you're going to have to educate them for college and help them along the way. And it seems like as a parent, you're always picking up the pieces. So what you want to do is ensure that you are taking care of your family by looking at your financial planning issues and working with a competent certified financial planner that can help you reach your goals. Like us. Exactly. (laughs) Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. Now, there was a good alert that was in the paper that I also enjoyed today, and it was a focus on money managers' fees. And this was also very good. Uh, the writer here said that money management is one of the most ingenious businesses on the planet. It's not the brilliance at managing money that stands out, mm-hmm. not at all. The writer said, as a whole, they're pretty mediocre 
at their central task, but they're superstars when it comes to hiding <laughs> their fees. This the guy's billing. A character. <laughs> the key to their billing success, however, derives from the fact that they don't charge you in dollars and cents. Money managers prefer to hide you hide it in what's called basis points. And I thought that was great because that is so, so true. I like the way he's he said, debit you in basis points. Well, that's what happens. They actually do, Linda. They just, just draft it right out of your account. But most money managers advise clients to focus on their returns and not the fees. Well, uh, I'm not so sure that's a smart move. Unfortunately, you have to agree to this fee schedule before the manager produces any results. So let's think about this. Let's say you've got a million-dollar portfolio, and you're told that we will go ahead and manage your money for you for 100 basis points. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? To or, yeah, or the we'll layperson. Man- yeah, or we'll manage it to you for 1%. The investor. You say, oh, it's only 1%, and if we're going to make for you 7 or 8 or 9%, then... But on the other hand, if you were told that this $1 million portfolio, we're going to be charging you... $10,000 a year. Every year. All of a sudden, it would not be a hidden fee. It would be very, very significant. And so I think the lesson to be learned here is always know in dollars what is being charged to you for your money management or your financial planning. You should have everything disclosed in dollars up front so you are thoroughly comfortable. And I really like that alert because with something that we at Lewis Financial Management have practiced for many, many, many years, we provide it in dollars, we give it in written form, and we want to make sure everybody knows everything. So so you need to, to look at, you know, um, is this a one-time expense or is this every year? And if you are incurring this expense, is your accountant aware of this expense as well? Right, Doug? That's right. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Good. Michael, are you on? Hello. Hello. How are you? This is the Lewis's, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. How can we help you this evening? I'd like to understand um, if this is too long a topic for the air, where I can look to get information to make the decision about either operating a small business as either a sole proprietorship or filing under the Social Security number or establishing an LLC, primarily um, tax advantages. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Mike. I'll see if I can help you. How old are you? 50. You're 50 years old, married or single? Single. Single. And your income approximate? No, no, no dependents. No dependents. Good. Uh, single. And your income? Uh, roughly $70,000. All right. About $70,000. Mm-hmm. Now, you're a sole proprietor. You have your own type of your own business, do you? Yes. <clears throat> All right. Uh, no employees. No employees. Okay. Right. Why... Um, what type of business? You don't have to disclose anything personally, but what what type of business is it's it? A in, it's a services business. It's a services business. Yeah. All right. It's not very, like very little in sales of stuff. Okay, so it's right. nothing in terms of a like a, a power line, uh, electrical, or or something like that with physical nothing, nothing danger. Nothing regulated under um, excise tax. Okay. Things like that, right? All right. Uh, 
of the seventy thousand you're bringing in, is that uh, you have any significant expenses, or pretty much all of it could be taxable? Um, well, the you asked about income. That's current income. It could double under a new um, expansion. I think that I would go ahead and focus on a sole proprietorship for a couple of reasons. First of all, you can file under Schedule C on your own tax return. You are able then to go ahead and set up for retirement benefits a SEP IRA. Okay. The SEP IRA will allow you uh, to get the maximum, far more than you can take under current law, uh, under your present income. Even if you're up to $250,000, you can go ahead and and uh, use that. So Just you're fine. Yeah, yeah, you're fine as far as setting up your retirement plan. If right. you go the route of an LLC, yes, there is limited liability from lawsuits of significance, but you can generally cover that with a simple umbrella policy. Liability. You can, yeah, you can get coverage. umbrella liability policies of $1 million, $2 million, $5 million. I've even seen them as high as $10 million, and they're super cheap. So. Yeah. So that would take care of that. But then you also avoid having to have a, the legal cost and the accounting cost. The corporate return. That's et right, to keep going with the LLC. I would go with the sole proprietorship. Okay, that, that was my thought, but I didn't know. So I would have the, the LLC would pay taxes, and then I would pay taxes based on. It's going to flow all the way back through to you. It's a pass-through also. It's a pass-through, just like an S-Corp. So you're not going to yeah. get any real benefit one or the one way or the other. Uh, at a seventy thousand dollar income, or even a hundred, I wouldn't do it. I, I, I'd, I'd keep it a sole proprietorship. And if, okay. if we, if you'd like to go ahead and uh, uh, call the office, schedule an appointment to get in, we can come on in. the The staff will tell you what appointments we have available, and be happy to go over everything with you. Now, um, Michael, I had a question. Have you accumulated other assets? Uh, not significant, no, but. Okay. At some point, unfortunately, in the future, with the passing of parents, there would be there'd be something there. Some inheritance, uh, yes. I'd want to protect that. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, well, great. Once that arrives, we could address it at that point, or that needs to be put in its own trust or something. All right. Well, call us at the office. Uh, okay. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. And if we if we can be of further assistance, we'll be happy to do so. Okay, wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for calling, Michael. You have a wonderful week. Thanks for taking my call. All right. Take care. Bye. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug and Deborah, we've had a slew of new clients coming to us at the office looking for financial planning advice. We really have, haven't we? It has really been amazing. It's been a really uh, a blessing. Um, I good to see, only, well, it's good to see so many people care. It really is. But it seems like they're all coming with a lot of misinformation. And what's the source of all this misinformation? Well, that is a very uh, apparent theme that I'm noticing. All the folks that keep coming to our office for appointments, so often they have uh a lot of information that is wrong, and and I've been asking where they get it from. Of course, I last week I asked this one client when she came to see us, and I said, "Well, where did you get that information from?" And she said, "Well, uh, Money Magazine and Fox News." <laughs> and so I said, "Well, uh, I'm not sure that's the most authentic. Suppose." Um, 
Uh, Mr. Warren Buffett said one thing, and Money Magazine said the other. Whom would you trust? So I uh, that is one source: the the media, television media, the news channels, and so forth. And then there's all these these sources that they come they they're coming with strange thoughts that they're reading about uh, in a different financial newsletters that are going out to the public, and one after the other. I am shocked at at where they get it. And so really, as, as they're in the office, I'm finding that the first part of every uh, conversation with them is we have to sort of uh, uh, re-educate them that there is a real answer and there is misinformation. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that so many people will follow up with what they've heard or what they've seen as, and how do you feel, Doug, Deborah? What, what are your thoughts? You know, Linda, what, what, have you, what, are, what are you aware of or thinking is uh, the situation? And I think that's really where we get an opportunity to say, well, at the same time, while we read and we're aware of those sources of information, we look at it a little bit differently from the manager's point of view. But it looks like we have a caller. Yeah, let's take Tom's call, and then we'll come back to this matter, because I think it's a very interesting... uh, I'm really impressed with the number of people who are really serious about planning for the future, but I really think we need to address this matter a little more about the misinformation they're coming with. If you don't have a certified financial planner to work with, if you haven't met with a certified financial planner... Call me, Deborah Lewis, at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. It might be the most important call that you make this year. 919-872-7000. Let's take Tom's call first. How are you, Tom? This is Doug Lewis, Deborah Lewis, Linda Lewis. How can we help you? Hey, guys. How you doing? All right. Um, yeah, you know, I've actually, actually, I, I caught your show once before, and actually I just caught it now, and um you know, um, I had, a, I had a, a question for you. Me and you know my wife um, have a different discussion about like the four hundred one k stuff. You know, she um, she worked for a big electronic company Sony. You know, up north for a long time. Right. Know, since she was eighteen years old, and then we moved down here. Let me get a couple. Of, let me get a couple of facts in front of me before I throw the find out the question that you want me to hit on. First of all, how old are you, Tom? I'm fifty. Fifty years old, and your yeah. wife? She's um forty-two. She's forty-two. Are you both still employed? No, I'm not. And, All right. Um, and I'm not. T- I'm not so concerned about on my end of it right now. I'm yeah, but unfortunately I'm- for me okay. to give advice, obviously, just like the IRS, they everybody considers you as one. So just give me a little bit of a picture. All right. So you're not employed, and she is employed. What's her income? Um, right around uh, the. 53,000 right okay. now. Okay. All right, 53,000. Of course, she's got a 401k and she's also got something that came with her. Are there any retirement assets on your side? Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm a retired I, I was an injured firefighter and from up north and I'm not going to get much of my stuff for about another 6 years. Okay. Uh, but, you know, right now, you know, my 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 big concern is talking to you is, a, is whether or not, you know, you know, they, they sent her a list of like, you know, a hundred different, you know. Okay. You I got it. I got to focus on a question now, Tom. Okay. Give me a question. All right. All right my, my question is, you know, is the best thing for her right now 
to keep her money in, like, you know, she needs to choose, you know, one of these mutual funds and, right. you know, or whatever, or does she, you know, is it better off for her to go into, like, a Roth IRA or something Well, you're talking two different, two different stories totally. Number okay. one, a Roth IRA means if her total 401k is 53000 to go into a Roth IRA with that 53000 means that she will have to pay about $15,000 in taxes. I think so, the fifty three thousand was her annual income. No, Is that, that correct? Income, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm that sorry. What's right, the value? What, yeah, of- what's the value of the four hundred one k? Right now, it went up. It, it's probably around sixty. Okay. Probably All right. Now. Okay. Same story. She doesn't want to do a Roth IRA. Why? Will, right. Why do you want to write a check to the I, IRS? So forget no, I, that. No, I understand. Okay. Number two. Well, we're just- knuckleheads and maybe we need to come and talk to you guys <laughs> well i think that's probably that's probably a good su- uh, suggestion because so often we find that when we're meeting in the office face to face with the clients then we can really go ahead and clean up the misinformation and give the right uh, or the right answers now if she has sixty thousand dollars and she came down but she didn't leave her employment the same employer when she moved down here no she, she ended up having to transfer it to so the Sony that she worked for before, that was a 401k. What did she do with that 401k? Did she roll it into the next company's 401k? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, see, unfortunately, that was a very bad decision. However, it's there now. She should have rolled it into an IRA, uh, which would have been tax-free also. And then, it, then she would have had a lot more options. But given where it's at now and the new additions that have been added to it it's now worth 60,000 she's 42 years old so she's still quite young as far as uh and her income do y'all have any kids at home yeah okay you got children at home 14 and a 14 and a 6 year old a 14 and a 6 year old so you are so i'm i'm guessing tom that that she has some question about what are the choices she should make in her current yeah, and, 401k yeah, she just is nervous about what. Right. She doesn't want to change anything. She's like, right. it, it's going up right now. All of a sudden, you know, yeah. all of a sudden we're, we're regaining some right. of our the losses and stuff. Well, like that. hey, and, listen, Tom, we have another caller. Right. So what we'd like to do is give me your um, number. Give me your, your guess. Our number in Raleigh is nine one nine. Eight seven two seven thousand. Eight seven two seven thousand. Yes, sir. Nine one nine USA seven thousand. Let me okay. say two things before I drop off. Number okay. one is she should go to our website. Okay. Dougandlinda.com. Okay. That's number one. Number two, she should definitely be at her young age, she should be in growth and income types of mutual funds in her 401k. However, selecting which ones becomes the bigger task. Exactly. And that's, of course, what I can do when I'm there with her in the office and she brings them to me. I can look at the managers and see their the risks and their track records and so forth. Yeah, and I really appreciate your time, guys. And I'll let you guys get move on to whatever, but I'm glad I got your number. And uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out for you guys, okay? Thank yeah, you, Tom. And we salute you as one of our... Firefighters are heroes. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Tom. We look forward to talking to you more later. All right. Take care. You're listening to Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug, it looks like our our caller dropped off. So if he wouldn't mind COVID us a call back, that would be great. And we'll go back to our conversation. Yeah, actually, I really like the question that uh, Tom just brought to us because it's it's the same story of misinformation. Obviously, his wife has 
than receiving scrambled or misinformation from different sources. There's no doubt about that. And until they're there in the office, it's very hard to uh, really unscramble mm-hmm. and get the get the the true information to them that they're looking for because people come with a lot of different uh, information sources and they're getting it from the strangest of all places right. it's not a necessary it doesn't mean that things are getting better and we should stay the same it things it think we should always be looking at exactly what we're invested in who the manager is and is it me- going to meet our need if you're 42 it's very different than when you're 62 if you're 52 it's very different than when you're 42 so you need to know what's going on in your in your retirement plan for your needs and if you're still listening Tom I, I want wanted to just tell you that it would be good whatever kinds of questions you have about your situation and your household feel free to write those questions down whoever you use as your advisor that individual should be able to answer answer every question that you have if you'd like further information call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website dougandlinda.com that's dougandlinda.com what what else is happening in the news, Deborah? Well, there's a lot going on about how to figure out how much you should save. And when people talk about saving, they generally mean saving for retirement. And there are a lot of rules of thumb. One of them in the article I was reading this week was one time honored rule of thumb suggests that you should save 10% of your income for retirement. And while that's a good rule of thumb, on the one hand, it tends to be uh very clear often to people that when planning for retirement, a one-size-fits-all solution is unlikely to work. Yeah, and I would say almost always it is unlikely to work. It's never going to work because uh, everybody's situation is different. Uh, it, it really is different. How much do you save? Well, I think the short answer is as much as you can. Yeah. As much as you can. <laughs> we had, a, yeah. We, we had a, a, a new client came to see us oh, recently. Yes. I really liked his remark. He's, yeah. uh, he's elderly. He's a, a long-time listener of the show. Long-time listener of the show. And he is uh, close to, he's in his 80s. And what did he say? He, he said, said it doesn't, it's not so he much. He said my dad told yeah, me. His da- yeah, and his dad had told him. And his um, he had said, my dad told me, it's not how much you make, it's how much you save. Right. So, all right, so this article you were reading, Debs, what was uh, what was the focus? Well, the first thing they wanted um, most of the wanted people to look at was um, how much to replace, and that is a common question. Uh, the first step in determining an appropriate savings rate is to estimate how much you're going to need to replace. So, if you make X amount of dollars. Am I going to need that same amount of dollars? And if not, there's often this thought, which the article is pointing to, that that you're going to need a percentage of. There, here we go again with that misinformation. That's a very good example, Deborah, because so often these studies talk about, well, if you're making so much right now, you're going to need to replace 80% of that or 75% of that. It has nothing to do with how much of your income you replace. The computation is... What are your living expenses that you're going to have to meet? That's right. So we need to start with the living expense analysis in retirement, not look for some magical formula of how much of my income I'm going to need to replace, because that is sort of meaningless. I could think of a hundred examples where that just doesn't make sense at all. The most basic one is, is, and if you planned on spending 75% of your income 
that you're currently making and you have expenses that are more than that, $1 over, you haven't met your need. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you've got to focus on the living expenses, on the need itself. Another uh, thing that they pointed to was calculating a savings rate as if you would need a required savings rate to meet your retirement needs. Now, again, trying to work on how a certain percentage as a savings rate is going to somehow satisfy. And I think this backs us back into the same thing. A savings rate of 50% or 75%. Oh, I see what they're saying. No, that's that's another bad, bad bit of information. You don't say, I'm going to need to accumulate so much, so therefore I should have so much in international equities, so much in bonds, so much in, st- in stocks, and that's going to give me a certain rate. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to look at it totally differently at the investments themselves, but you don't go ahead and say certain kinds of investments are going to give me a certain rate of growth. It's not a one-size-fits-all scenario. That's right. It's not. (laughs) It's never. It never is. And in... Uh, well, uh, another point that they bring up is starting early matters. And while like that's that. a truth, that I is a truth. I really agree with that. As soon as you have an income, save a portion of it. And when you start getting away from the formulas, and even though we jokingly said, save as much as you can, that really is a truth. But there is a big difference. If you're starting later, then you are going to need to more strictly look at what are my living expense needs because right. I need to be saving not just fr- not just lightly save as much as I can I need to be strict about this I've got x amount of years worth earned income The last thing that they pointed out was um that income matters and go ahead Well I'm just trying to figure out what they meant by that what they mean by that in that article Well they were saying that and they had a a very um philosophical discussion about the percentages and your percentage of likelihood of being able to save enough based on your income going up. And the very first thing I thought of was, well, if you have an increasing income, you should have an increasing savings. Yeah, this is really, it's an exercise in futility, trying to find some mathematical studies or some studies of mathematical serv- uh, mathematical formulas that are going to help you make it. You need to see a certified financial planner, one who has your interest at heart, one who will help you look at your living expenses, one who will then go ahead and say, from there, let's look at setting up a pay-yourself-first investment plan that will track it with you on a regular basis and so forth. And when you're working that way, then it's a totally different approach than trying to find some number somewhere. There isn't a one-size-fit-all number. It doesn't work. There are principles in financial planning that need to be adhered to. And in savings, that's one of them, right? You start early and, uh, you know, uh, folks are working every day. There's different kinds of jobs. Some of them are high-income earners and others are just you know uh, state workers or mm -hmm, or professionals uh, entrepreneurs but the point is start saving early and the most important one of the most important things about savings is work with an advisor that can assist you in channeling where that savings should go if you know, you're contributing to your 401k, but what about an emergency fund? Or um, 
you're contributing to the 401k, but what about personal, personal investment plan? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So take out a pen and paper, write down our number. It's 919-872-7000. Hold on to that pen and paper and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you should talk about. Another common piece of retirement advice is to max out your 401k. And wow. many people <laughs> use that generalization, just max it out. So what would you say to that, Doug? Well, this is another example of misinformation that's out there. One of the common uh, reactions I get in my office is when I tell people, you're making a big mistake. You should not be putting the maximum into your 401k. Uh, everyone has a unique set of circumstances and needs and goals that's going to determine what is the appropriate course of action. And uh, there are a lot of reasons not to contribute to your 401k. I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is if you don't have an emergency fund and you are maxing out your 401k, then you are you are going beyond, number one, what might be a company match, and you're taking what is salary to you and you're deferring it. But if you don't have an um, emergency fund, you haven't socked away or put aside anything to cover you for when you need cash. That's right. That's right. And people need to have an emergency fund. Generally, we like to see six months. Now, here's another example of where misinformation. People very often come to the office, say, I know I need an emergency fund. It's supposed to be somewhere between three and six months of income. And I say, no, 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 no. It's got nothing to do with income. It should be three to six months of your living expenses. That's right, because your living expenses is going to really, truly dictate what you would need. I need to have X amount of dollars to cover to pay my expenses. X amount of months if of bills. I, if I lose my job, if, if something happens, that's right. Right. So six months of living expenses would probably be a better recommendation. That's right. The and best. that's the first reason that you should not automatically maximize your 401k. You've got to have emergency fund first. Yeah. And I think I just mentioned the second reason, our, our second biggest reason would be don't match your, if your employer doesn't match the contribution, that in itself can often be a deterrent from maxing out your 401k. You know, <laughs> excuse me, you know, Deborah, a lot of employers are stopping the matching it didn't used to be that way, but many employers now are offering a 401k plan that does not have any employer match. And if that's the case, there may oftentimes be better investment strategies than just putting your money into the 401k because they may have not such good investment options to you. So that's another thing that is misinformation. Don't just automatically contribute especially if there is no employer match. And if you're swimming in debt and you are at the same time uh, contributing to the max and not decreasing your debt, this is where I think the real analysis can can, can serve someone so much better than just doing the automatic response. That's right, because it may be that you're over leveraged in your home. We've got to pay down your mortgage first. It may be that you've got credit cards or it may be that you've got other kinds of debt that uh, you don't want to think about, well, I'll borrow from my 401k. That is a no-no. Never do that. There may be exceptions, uh, but probably you should deal with this matter of debt. But you need a financial planner to help you go through and walk through this, this, uh, this, this set of decisions. Another um, aspect of 
needing a financial planner is that part of the allure of 401ks is the ability to defer income tax. And you're not taxed on those contributions until you make withdrawals during retirement, of course. However, it doesn't always make sense to defer your taxes rather than paying up front. And this is really, I think, a huge conversation in our office about how you don't in general want to, in many areas of your life, let the tax tail wag the dog. That's exactly right. Thinking about deferring taxes until you withdraw in retirement, it might actually cost you a lot more, even if the tax brackets do remain at the same. So I agree with you, Deborah. Fear of future tax increases should not be uh, a reason to go ahead and contribute to your 401k. So all of these things add up to a real good uh, synopsis of a conversation that we have very frequently, usually with every client who's still employed and trying to make that decision on their own um, and realizing that it is a much more difficult decision and one better made when you're working with a financial planner. Don't trust these decisions to chance. Hire the right advisor. Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, and let us help you create a sensible plan. Hi, Marie. This is Deborah Lewis. How can we help you? I am calling. Um, I have a daughter in her mid-20s who is recently married. And um, they need some assistance in meshing their family and their finances. And I was wondering if you had any suggestions or guidance of what would be the best way for a young newlywed couple to um, do this. By meshing their finances, what what are you meaning? Like like putting all of the household income together and then figuring out how to spend it and what port would be saved? Or deciding if that's not the right way for them, you know, got, you know like... What is the best way? Do we put percentages of our checks in? Okay, well, tell me a little bit about their situation. How much household income is there? Um, they have approximately seventy-five to 80000 Okay, and is, is the income split evenly between the two? Is there any reason why not to? I guess where, what's why the question of, of should we put it together or not? Well, they seem to be struggling with mine and mine. Are either of them uh, coming out of another marriage? No. This first marriage for both of them? Yes. No children? No children. <coughs> okay. Well, yeah. The, they, ta- the, the wh- All right. First of all. The IRS. First of all, the, the, the way you have to approach it is initially from a tax viewpoint, everything is joint. They're okay. going to file a joint tax return. They get no benefit separating themselves for tax purposes. Okay. Second thing is. They need to be focusing on their financial future. Their financial future is their future. It's not his future or her future, unless they're planning a divorce pretty soon. No, so, <laughs> probably not. Okay. All right, Mom. So what you want them to do is to realize it's their future, which means it's their income minus their expenses, which comes down to the most important thing, which is their surplus. That's right. And with a surplus, you're going to want to immediately have them set aside how much can we afford to, quote, pay ourselves first. As soon as we get that that family income dollar minus the expenses and we have a surplus, that's where the power is. If they're in their 20s and they're taking that surplus on a monthly basis and setting it aside, they've now empowered their financial future exponentially, literally. Yeah, because once they get their uh, emergency fund established, and that would be between three to six months of living expenses, 
then what they want to do, of course, because, you know, uh, over the over the courtship, they've been giving gifts to each other. Right. That's what young couples do. Yes, they do. And then, you know, they're going to get to the point where they're like, and, you know, as a young couple, because if they're techie or whatever, they're going to buy a lot of adult toys like, you know, iPads and iPods and, you know, bicycles and you know what I mean. Yes, I do. And and sometimes mom and dad are going to buy those gifts for them. But at some point they're going to say, I think we need to start looking at saving more. Right. Or investing. Right. They're going to get to that point if they haven't already gotten to that point. And, and at their employer, they're probably saving in a 401k. Yeah. I don't know. They yeah. may be already doing this. So I agree with Doug. It's their income. It's their household income. And it's their future. And once we get down to their income, then we go to their expenses and we recategorize their expenses as their recurring monthly expenses minus their recurring monthly income to get what Deborah said is that monthly surplus to become a pay yourself first plan. If you want to, mom, you, sometimes some parents schedule meetings to we, meet with we us. We get that request a we lot. We do get that one a lot. Be Somebody, happy to go exactly. ahead. We do charge a fee, of course, for our consultations, mm-hmm. but we'd be happy to go ahead and get them set on the right path. We've done many of those through the years. Yeah, sometimes parents will pay the fee for their child as a gift, and sometimes vice versa. Or sometimes they pay the their kids own. Pay. Well, yeah, nothing wrong with them if they're making exactly. a good income. They can buy their own consultation, but they need to get serious about their future because, as Deborah said, when they're that young, time is the greatest power for accumulation. That's right. And, you know, it's not to say that there are some folks out there where, you know, the husband has his own checking account, the wife, you know, has her own checking account. But that can be dangerous because what you want to do is, you know, consider the household because mm-hmm. they've become a couple, right? Absolutely. That would be my take on it, but there's a lot of modern couples that seem to have different... Well, that's why, that's that's the, that's my function. Well, when they're sitting in my office and I show them numbers, I'm basically telling them in polite ways, you're pretty stupid if you want to waste all your money keeping your savings account and your checking account and her savings account and, her sa- and all that money earning zero. That's a very foolish thing to do. And let me show you how much it would compound at over the next 20 years if you didn't do that. All of a sudden, the lights go on. They say, oh, yeah, why are we doing this? Well, that sounds like a good pass. Because I was just looking for something. I can't be the one who advises them, but they need they need someone to. Right. A good book, by the way, that we give to clients when they come in like that young couples is called The Wealthy Barber. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. And um, I will discuss it with them and see what we can come up with. Yeah. Yes. And congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> All right. T- thank you, Marie. Have a wonderful week. You too. Bye-bye. By now, you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. You know, Lynn, I was extremely impressed with uh, a, a write-up in Morningstar's magazine to financial planners the Morningstar Advisor had a really interesting uh, series of articles on using alternatives, and I liked it very much because 
the question was how to use alternatives for clients. I don't know if Deborah, if you and Linda, if y'all yes, saw I that. Yes, I did. I certainly did. And I think it might be helpful to begin with uh, two definitions. When you say alternatives, you mean alternative investments. Mm-hmm. And that the alternative investments in themselves can have many different definitions. You know, Debs, that is the very first question that the Morningstar writer asked. And he asked a financial planner in New Jersey, said, well, how do you define alternatives? Is there such a thing as traditional? And the New Jersey planner wrote back and said, I would say that I know what it is like art. I don't know exactly what it is, but I recognize it when I see it. And he said, I would say non-traded REITs and business development corporations are alternatives. And he said he uses them to diversify his client's portfolio and then a Washington state financial planner wrote back and said, well, for us, alternatives are ones that have low volatility, absolute return strategies, not correlated to the stock markets or the bond markets. And he says, I primarily use alternatives as non-correlated alpha. So that was interesting. And then another planner that wrote back, he said, well, we use them to increase their risk-adjusted investment performances. So it was really interesting as they got into these series of articles and they had a poll. They They, had a quick poll. They did have a quick poll on who is using what. And uh, the first question in the poll, I think they had about uh, 300, well, it was about over 2,000 responses. In your typical client uh, client's portfolio, how much is allocated to alternative investments? Very interesting. They said that uh, they ranged anywhere from 10% to over 20%. Another question they asked in the poll was, what's the main role that alternatives should play in a portfolio? And again, we got answers from anywhere in terms of diversification or hedging or risk-adjusted returns. And, and I was thinking about this as I went through the articles on the different uh, in the magazine, this, the issue of that magazine. And I realized that uh, some of the planners that responded use alternatives for risk reduction. Some of them have an alpha focus, but our main use in our firm, and we have been using alternatives for well over 20 That's years. That's right. And again, alternatives are alternatives to stocks, bonds, and cash. That's exactly right. So that alternatives leaves to everything stocks, else. That, and that leaves commodities, uh, hedge, hedge funds, funds all, of, all of the real estate. All of the real estate deals. All, yeah. But our focus on alternatives has been for safety and income generation. That's we right. look for alternatives in the portfolio to be income generators and safety. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. One of the Atlanta planners was asked, what's your definition of an alternative investment? And he basically said that they fall into asset classes that differ from the three traditional ones you mentioned, Deborah, and also alternative strategies of using those. That was very good. Another planner wrote back from Atlanta. He said, an alternative investment is any investment outside the standard, like precious metals, futures, short positions, options. And all of these things are to help uh, the portfolio. And, and, and there's also the question of what's the role within the portfolio? Yeah, the role was very interesting. One of the, oh, there was a New York planner who said, risk mitigation is what I use. It's the form of limiting overall portfolio volatility. 
The Atlanta planner said, well, I've been investing in alternatives for more than 20 years, and I've witnessed an incredible amount of change, especially in the past 10 years, in types of alternatives that are out there. Another uh, planner said that most retirees or those approaching retirement are open to a strategy that does not resemble a roller coaster. And I'd say fundamentally the most important part of all of this conversation is that due diligence is crucial. That is right, Deborah. You have you to have, have to work strong, with a planner. Yeah. You have to know what the intention is and how this can either uh, help or just distract from the overall investment strategy. Due diligence. Yes, indeed. Well, I think I hear the music, so we better wish That's everybody right. a good week. And remember, your financial future is what is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.